Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you're joining us today for worship. It's great seeing all you guys here in person. I also want to welcome in our online family as well. I know that we have right now Mark, who's on I-40, just west of Yukon. He's joining us. I hope he's listening and not watching the service, but glad you're joining us. Well, as the hundreds of other online family members that we have. So if you are here in person, would you put your hands together and let's get loud and welcome in our online family. Again, glad to have you guys with us. And I'm excited this morning. I'm excited for several different reasons. First of all, you may not have heard, but the Kentucky Wildcats beat the number 10 Florida Gators last night. And that was an incredible game, yeah. And I, you know, sometimes I wonder if you guys get tired of me talking about Kentucky. I've got my Kentucky gear on right now, or not gear on, but shirt on right now. And I wonder sometimes if you get tired of me talking about it. And then last night on social media, one of our church members posted this. She put up there, has our church collectively adopted Kentucky into the fold of schools we cheer for? Feels like it tonight in our house. And so I don't know if that's everybody, but I'll make a deal with you right now. I'm fine with this. You can keep cheering for your team, but if you will throw Kentucky in there as well, I will cheer for Oklahoma teams as long as they're not playing Kentucky, okay? I will every single time. So we can have this little agreement, this deal. And so I am excited because that was a big win last night. We have not beat Florida on our home field since 1986. I was one year old. I don't remember it. So I was very excited to see that happen last night, and I didn't sleep hardly any, so we'll see if the sermon's good or not. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm also excited because of what happened last Sunday night right here in this place. We had our vision night, and it was an incredible night. And honestly, it is a night that I will never, ever forget. And we've heard a ton of positive feedback from what happened. I am just so pumped about what God has done, is doing, and what he has plans to do in this place. And so if you missed vision night, we are going to launch our unstoppable series next week and it's going to be six weeks we're going to lay out what we believe God is leading us to do this is an exciting time to be part of part of first church you are not going to want to miss next Sunday and if you were here for vision night you know that we passed out unstoppable t-shirts to people well somebody sent my wife this last night because they wore their unstoppable shirts to the OSU game because we had orange shirts we have multiple different colors but they got the orange ones and they wore their church shirts their unstoppable shirts to the game how cool is that I mean that's just awesome. And so you can pick yours up if you didn't get one Sunday night this coming Sunday as we launch our Unstoppable campaign. We are excited about this season of ministry that God is taking us down. But also I'm excited because I get to wrap up our current series, Letters from My Future Self. And this topic that we're going to talk about today I think is so important and it also leads us right into what I believe God's going to do in this next series, Unstoppable, as well. So as we begin the message today, I just want to kick it off by revealing a truth. I want to share a truth with you that you may not know, you may not have thought about it, and I'm just going to be honest, this truth, it might shake you up a little bit. It might rock your world, it might catch you totally off guard, it might surprise you, and here it is. Are you ready? Here's the truth. You cannot believe everything you see on the internet. Okay, that's the truth right there. Okay, I know. It's gonna, I know, it's gonna turn your world upside down. I get it. You cannot believe everything you see on the internet. And let me give you some examples of why. I was on this website the other day, and they were revealing that there are some people who will post fake or photoshopped 
pictures on social media in order to make people like them or to impress other people. And here are some examples of what I found. Like this pilot right here. This pilot was known for posting all these pictures of him doing these death-defying feats until he posted this picture right here. He had a ton of followers. And when you zoom in and look at his glasses, the reflection on the glasses reveals that he was actually on the ground. The plane was on the ground when he took this picture and then he photoshopped in the background. He's a fake. He's a phony, but he got a lot of followers out of it. Okay, how about this example right here? There's this cliff in Brazil that a lot of people go to and they hang off of. And I've seen these pictures online. I'm like, man, these people are crazy. This is stupid. Why would somebody, you know, hang from a cliff like this? But then when you look at the cliff from a different angle, this is actually what it looks like. It's not hundreds of feet off the ground like it appears. It's right there. It's not really dangerous at all. But if you Get the picture just at the right angle, it makes people believe you're doing something that you're really not. How about this example right here? This kid, his, uh, his picture went all around social media a few years ago for how he was creating this rice wave, and everybody was real impressed at his skills and talents, and then come to find out that rice wave is actually a display at a museum in Tokyo, and he just photoshopped it into his kitchen, basically. Not real. It's a fake. And how about this example right here, this guy lifting weights. You can see all these weights that he has on. He's photoshopped that in because he forgot there's a mirror behind him. And in the mirror, he doesn't have near as many weights that he's lifting as he tried to fake. And I don't understand why he tried to fake that because I couldn't lift what he's actually lifting. But anyway, that was still a good try at least, but obviously not real. And my question is, why would people do this? Why would people Photoshop or fake pictures? Well, maybe to get attention, you know, that's true. But I wonder if it's because they don't feel like that their lives, their real lives, are exciting enough, adventurous enough, thrilling enough, momentous enough. They feel like that if they posted just about their real life, no one would follow them, no one would care. And let me ask you, have you ever had a season in your life where you've thought, you know, my life's kind of mundane. I just feel like I'm going through the motions. I feel like I was created to do more. I feel like I was created for greater significance, for something bigger. But right now, it feels like I'm just paying the rent. You ever had a season where you thought, you know, there is a day when I dreamed big dreams and I anticipated the future. But somewhere along the way, I stopped dreaming those dreams and just settled for the cookie-cutter life that I have right now. Somewhere along the way, I lost my childlike wonder. I just feel like I've settled in a life that's far less than what I feel like I need to be living. I had a chance to go up to Lakeside, Ohio. It's just off Lake Erie this week, and I had a phenomenal trip. It's a beautiful place if you've ever been there. And I went there because I'm part of this preaching cohort. There's eight uh, ministers who lead large churches who meet together on a regular basis, and we talk about our ministry experiences, and we grow from one another, and we share stories, and it's always an enriching time. And so I met this group of guys uh, up in Lakeside, Ohio, and we were up there, for, like I said, for about three days, and we stayed in a couple different houses 
houses, but when you walked out the back of the house, this is what you were able to see. I mean, how beautiful is that? Isn't that just gorgeous? That's Lake Erie right there. Here's another picture. And again, just gorgeous, what we got to see every single day while we were there. But in the house that I stayed in, the people who owned the home, they put this picture up on the wall, and it says, go jump in the lake. Now, I wasn't exactly sure how to take that. Like, I wasn't sure if they were being sarcastic and saying, go jump in the lake, like go jump off a bridge, you know, or go, go jump off a cliff, you know. I wasn't sure if that's what they meant or if they were trying to say, like, embrace the day. Go out and jump in the lake, you know. So I showed this picture to my son, Alex, and I knew exactly how he took it because he looked at me. He said, well, Daddy, did you do it? Did you go jump in the lake? And I was like, well, no, buddy, I didn't do it. And he said, well, why not? And there were a whole list of reasons why I didn't go jump in Lake Erie. One, it was really, really cold. Two, I didn't bring any swim trunks. Uh, Three, I wasn't sure where it was safe to swim. But what I told Alex was, oh, buddy, I just didn't have time. I was busy, and I just didn't have time to go do that. And he looked at me, and he goes, Daddy, how old were you when you became boring? Now, (laughs) thanks, son. I appreciate that a whole lot. I appreciate the encouragement. And I'm not saying that Alex was right about jumping in the lake. But you ever feel like your life's a little boring? You know, it's not that you don't ever do anything fun. And it's not that you're not busy. And it's not that you don't have relationships. It's not that you don't ever do anything exciting. It's just that even though you have all that stuff, when you go to bed every night, you just feel like something's missing. You feel like you were created for more. You feel like you were created for something bigger. See, what I've discovered, the more I get to know people, is I've discovered that deep down, none of us want to be space takers or resume builders. We want to be difference makers. Deep down, we don't want to just take up space. We don't want to go through motions. We don't want to just pay the rent. Deep down, we want to make an impact. We want to make ripples that last. We want to be difference makers. Now here's the thing. Believe it or not, God wants this for us as well. Listen to what the Bible says. In 1 Peter, it says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited. The empty life that was passed down to you from this world. The cookie-cutter existence that everyone else has settled for. And then he goes on to say, and it was not paid with the mere gold or silver which lose their value, things that quickly pass away. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. In other words, God sent Jesus to rescue you from living a mundane existence, from living a life that's far less than what you were created to live. Jesus came so that we could live life to the full. And that's why Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, I came, I mean, this is a purpose statement of Jesus. I came to give life, life in all its fullness. He came to maximize our lives. Jesus wants today to maximize your life. So that you can live a life with meaning and purpose and contentment and fulfillment. That's what Jesus wants for every single one of us. But the question is, will you accept his invitation? 
to live the best version of you? Will you accept his invitation to maximize your life? Because that's what John is going to talk about as we wrap up this series today. This is your first Sunday with us. We've been in this series on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and we've really focused more on 1st John. We've kind of mentioned 2nd and 3rd John a little bit, but there are these three little small letters tucked away in the back of our Bible that we often overlook and miss, but they are so important. If you've been here for the series, you know that John is writing these letters to the church, and he's an old man at this point. Most scholars believe he's like 90 years old. And he's been following Jesus now for like 60 years. And it hasn't always been easy. He suffered a lot because of his faith in Jesus. He's been physically persecuted time and time again. He's been arrested and thrown in prison. He's been beaten and flogged. His life has been threatened over and over again. And now that he's 90 years old or so, all the other apostles have died. They've been martyred for their faith, killed for their faith. He's the last of Jesus' original disciples. And he was a close friend and follower of Jesus. And John, after 60 years of seeing his other friends die, John, after being persecuted himself and physically experiencing pain and suffering because of his faith in Jesus, John writes to the next generation of Christians, the younger Christians who are going to come after him, and he says, don't give up on your faith. Don't stop following Jesus because the life that Jesus is offering you is so worth it. It may be tough at times, but there is not a better way to live. And John's able to say after six years of following Jesus, don't walk away from him. That's why John tells these younger Christians, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. In other words, don't get distracted. Don't let yourself drift away. Don't follow the crowd. Don't go with the flow. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Instead, Live for something bigger. Live for the purpose that God created you to live out. And that's why John writes this. He says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, just what's physically right in front of us. And pride in our achievements and possessions, what we get. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away. It's passing. It'll be gone one day, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. John here is saying, I know that the world is pulling at you and trying to get you to live as it lives. But don't do it. Don't fall into that temptation. Because you're living for something more. You're living for something bigger. You're living for something that lasts. And the whole point here that John is trying to make is that Jesus invites us to live for something bigger than ourselves. And what is that something bigger that Jesus calls us to live for? Well, John goes on to tell us as he writes in this letter. He says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. This is what we have been preaching all along. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, you know, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's first sons, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life. 
Because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now there's a few things here that I want to point, on, point out before we move on. Some truths here that I think are so important that John hits on. And the first truth is this. The central message of the gospel is this. Love one another. This is what the good news of Jesus Christ is all about. This is what his message is all about. Because we love God, the response to our love for God should be love for one another. And John puts it like this. John says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. This is the message we've been preaching all along. It hasn't changed. We should love one another. This has been central. This has been primary to our faith from the very beginning when we first started following Jesus. You guys remember when Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? Out of all of God's commandments, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? You guys know how Jesus responded. Jesus said to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with everything you have and to love people as he has loved you. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he taught that what is central to our faith is love. Loving God and loving people as God has loved us. Paul puts it this way. Paul writes, the only thing that counts. Now let those words stick with you for a second. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. In other words, Paul's saying, I don't care how many Bible verses you have memorized. It's good to memorize the Bible, but if you're not loving as God has loved you, what good is it? I don't care how many times you show up to church. Church attendance is very important. You need the community of faith. But if you're not loving as God has loved you, what good is it? I don't care how much money you put in the offering. I don't care what good deeds you do. What matters is that you are loving other people as God has loved you. And if you don't get love right, it doesn't really matter what else you get right. Because the only thing that counts, those are Paul's words, not mine, is faith expressing itself through love. And what's interesting is when you look at John's writings here in these three little letters that we're studying at the end of the Bible, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, these are three short letters, a total of seven chapters. That's it, short little letters. And in these short little letters, John will use the word love over 30 times. Because as an old man who's getting ready to leave this world, he wants to remind these young Christians about what is most important. Now every now and then, doesn't happen a lot, but every now and then, I will have somebody come up to me and they will say, you know, Chad, you sure do talk a whole lot about love. I think maybe we need to move on to the deeper stuff. And what they mean by that is, I think they mean well, is they want to talk about some of these issues that people debate when it comes to theology and stuff like that. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with having those discussions. I'm not afraid of those discussions. I've had those discussions. But I always wonder about what they mean by the deeper stuff. Because here's the thing. When you think about God's love, is there a deeper subject than the love of God? 
I mean, we could spend a lifetime studying about the love of God and still not be able to wrap our minds fully around it. Is there a deeper subject than loving our neighbor as God has loved us? We can spend a lifetime practicing the love of God as we love others and still not love other people to the amount that he has loved us. Is there a deeper subject than the love of God? I don't think so. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter how much other Bible you know. If you get love wrong, you're going to end up getting everything else wrong too. Love is at the core of our faith. And so when people come to me and they say, hey, you talk way too much about love, I just say I'm in good company because that's what John did and he was like a chosen apostle, you know, and that's what he did. And here's the thing, I'm sure when John was writing these letters, there were probably people uh, in those churches that he was writing to, they were saying, you know what, John, he just talks way too much about love. I wish he'd move on to the deeper stuff. You know who those people were? The Gnostics, the false teachers that we talked about earlier who were all about getting superior knowledge so they could elevate themselves. They were all about all this knowledge and John is reminding the church, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, if you're not practicing the love, of God, then nothing else matters. It is central to who we are as the image bearers of God. But then second, we also see here that John talks about two groups of people. The first group of people he mentions like this, he says, we know that we, and he's speaking about himself and the rest of the followers of Jesus that he knows, we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. In other words, we are those who are now experiencing new life in Christ, and the result of our new life in Christ is that we love other people. But then he talks about those who aren't living this new life, who are still wrapped up in death, who aren't loving people. There are two types of people in this world, and the distinguishing factor between those two groups is the love of God. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says to his followers, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Our love will prove to the watching world that we are who we claim to be. And so there are two types of people, those who are experiencing life, and because they're experiencing life in God are now unleashing his love on the world, and those who are still in death who aren't loving as God has loved. Which side are you on? John also says something else. John also emphasizes that eternal life begins now. See, a lot of times when we think about eternal life, we think about a life to come when we die. But what we miss is that the Bible repeatedly teaches us that this eternal life that we are going to inherit one day, the fullness of that life, it starts right now. That we begin living eternally now. We begin living for the standards of heaven now. And right now, God is doing a work in us. Right now, God is preparing us for our eternity. And we now have restored, reborn life. It begins now and then it carries us all through eternity. Listen to what John says. John says, we know that we have passed from death to life. Notice this terminology. It's past tense. We have passed. Not one day we will pass from death to life. He says we have passed from death to life, meaning now we're already starting to experience what eternal life is like because we have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus says this as well in his high priestly prayer in John 17. When he's praying to his father, listen to what Jesus prays. He says, now this is eternal life. Okay, if Jesus is going to define eternal life, we need to go with his definition, okay? Just saying. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that we will die and go to heaven one day. Nope, that's not what he says, even though that is part of it. Notice how Jesus defines eternal life. That they, speaking of his followers, will know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, me, whom you have sent. What's eternal life? 
It's knowing God. It's having a relationship with God. And what that means is our eternal life begins now because now we can be restored to God and we can start that relationship with him and then the fulfillment of that relationship will be what we experience all through eternally, all through eternity. Eternal life begins now. And we need to start living for eternity now. But then there's one more truth here. Like Jesus, we are to be agents of God's love. Listen to what John says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus is our example. Jesus is our model. And just as he laid down his life for us and showed us ultimate love on the cross, we are to be agents of his love in this world. Now my question is, why all this attention on love? Why all this focus and teaching on love? Well, it's simple. Because love is what we were created for. Love is who we were created to be. And John lets us know this, if you will remember, he mentioned this guy named Cain when he's talking about love. And why does he throw in Cain? If you remember the story, Cain was the brother of Abel, again, the first two sons of Adam and Eve. And Cain ends up killing his brother Abel because he was jealous of him. Why does he use that as an example? Well, listen to what John says. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil. In other words, Cain murdered his brother because he wasn't living as a child of God. He was living as one who belonged to the evil one. What you need to understand is the reason why John brings this up is he's making this huge point. And he's saying, we were originally created to be the image bearers of God, to reflect God's image, to reflect God's character. That's why he made Adam and Eve. That's why he made the entire human race. And what is central to God's character? If we are to reflect God's character, we've got to know what is central to his character. John tells us, John says, God is love. I want you to notice something. John doesn't say God does love, or God can love, or God has the ability to love, or God is even loving. He doesn't say that. He says, God is love. Meaning love is not just part of his character. Love is who God is. And so, if we are to reflect his character, what does that mean for us? We are to be love. It's not, there, it's not just that we're loving on occasion, loving when we want to or we feel like it. We are to be the image of love in this world. Why? Because that's what we were created to do. Go back to Jesus' commands. Remember, the greatest two commands are to love God and love people. What is Jesus saying there? He's trying to get us back to the original purpose of God's creation. We were created to love God and to love his children. To live in a relationship of love with God and a relationship of love with his children. And we messed that up. When we chose to sin, we corrupted the image of God within us. And so instead of reflecting love, you know what we started to reflect? Selfishness. You guys ever reflect selfishness? Happens a lot doesn't it? And that's what happened to Cain. He ends up being selfish. He's jealous of his brother and he kills his brother. And after his brother is dead, God appears to Cain and God says, Cain, where's Abel? Where's your brother? You remember how Cain responded? Oh, I don't know. 
am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? You may not realize this, but this right here is the first question ever recorded in Scripture that a human being ever asked God. Do you know that? Now, we've asked God a whole lot of questions since then, but this is the first question we ever have recorded that a man ever asked God. And it's as if that God, after this question was asked, has been using the rest of Scripture, the rest of the Bible, to answer this question, and his answer is, yeah, you are. You are your brother's keeper. That's why I created you. I created you to be loved, to reflect my character. And I am loved. And just as I love you, you are to love me and love one another. That's who you are. Are you your brother's keeper? You bet you are. That's who I created you to be. And I think that's why when Jesus gives those two greatest commandments, love God, love people, he says all the law, all of God's law hangs on these two commandments. Because if you don't get that right, then you're not going to get anything right. It all goes back to that because that was the original purpose for which we created. And the whole point of Jesus coming was to bring us back to the original purpose for which we were created. See, when we love, we speak God's language. And that's why John is so passionate about this. That's why this church is so passionate about this. Because when we love, we speak God's language. When we love like him, we speak a language that only he speaks and only his children can understand. I made the comment that I was able to go on a trip to, you know, Ohio. And while I was gone, you know, I got to fly on some planes and I had connecting flights and all that. And throughout the trip, especially when I was in the airport, I had to wear a mask because they make you wear a mask on planes and all that. And so I have this Kentucky mask. And so I would wear it around. And as I would walk through the airport or get on a plane, people would holler out at me and they would say, go cats! And this happens all the time. If I go on a trip somewhere, vacation, and I wear a Kentucky shirt, everywhere I go, somebody will shout out, go cats! I wore a, a Kentucky shirt one day when I was up in Ohio. I had two or three people that day shout out at me. When I was in the airport and plane, I had people shout out. Probably had a dozen or so people say, go cats! Now, if you didn't know anything about the Kentucky culture or anything about sports, you would probably think that those people are nuts. When all of a sudden, when somebody from across the airport says, go cats! You might be thinking, that guy's insane. That guy's nuts. I knew he wasn't nuts. You know why? I knew that man was a child of God. I really did. No, I, I knew that man was a Kentucky fan. We were on the same team. We're of the same family. We're from the same tribe. He is my fellow Kentuckian. We speak a language that probably the world doesn't, those who aren't Kentucky fans don't get. And the same is true when it comes to our spiritual lives as well. When we speak the language of love, when we love like Jesus, we speak a language the world doesn't always understand. And the world looks at us and they say, turn the other cheek. What's that all about? That's dumb. Forgive people who don't deserve it. Forgive people who haven't asked for it or who never said they were sorry. Why would you do something like that? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. You've got to be kidding me. Go the extra mile to help people who won't help themselves. Why would you do something like that? Why would you give up your time and sacrifice your money and your resources to help other people like that? The world doesn't always get it, but that's because they don't know how to speak God's language. And we do. And here's the thing. Loving like that, loving like God, is something that we can't do on our own. Because the world has a different definition of love. And love that's found outside of God will always be tainted by a certain level of selfishness. 
This world's idea of love, well, Jesus describes it like this. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. See, the world's definition of love is love those who return love to you. Love when you're able to get something out of it. And God says, that's not why I love. See, when it comes to God's love, God's love isn't something that we achieve, but it's something that we receive. It's a gift. And so when we go out and show people love when they don't deserve it, we're giving them a gift, and that's what God has done for us. We love by a different standard. We love not because of who somebody else is, but because of who our God is and because of who he has made us to be. And that's why in 1 John 4, 7, John writes, so love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. In other words, you can't really love somebody unless you're born of God, unless you allow for him to teach you how to love. That's why his spirit lives in us. And we get this indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit because God is teaching us to speak his language. John also says this, John says, we love because he first loved us. And for years, I misunderstood that verse. I thought it meant, you know, because God's shown us love, now we got to love him. We're obligated to love him because he has shown us love. But that's not what John is saying here. I think what John is getting at is, now that we've experienced the love of God, we know what real love looks like. We know how to really love because we've now experienced what real love, eternal love, looks like. We now know how to speak God's language. And when we know how to speak God's language of love, it'll change us. This is what happens. First of all, God's love shapes how we see ourselves. It humbles us because we realize we don't deserve God's love. And yet he has given it to us. And we realize that we're not worth his love, but he sees us as worth it. And so we are humbled and we realize we're all sinners and we all fall short. And so therefore we want to turn around and love those in our lives who don't deserve it as well. Because we take the focus off of ourselves and we put our focus on God and God teaches us how to love other people. So our lives all become about giving up of ourselves so that we can lift others up. And this is the example that we actually get from Jesus. We see that John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. See, Jesus is our example, and Jesus' definition of love is always a verb. It's not about just a feeling or an emotion, but it's actually entering into someone's pain in order to do something about it. And that's what Jesus did for us. He saw us in our pain and suffering, and he entered into our pain in order to do something about it. I saw this picture several years ago. A little boy named Gabe. He had cancer and had to have surgery done, and the surgery left him with a scar on his head. And he told his dad that he didn't want to go to school because he was afraid the other kids would make fun of him. And he told his dad, I feel like a monster. So you know what his dad did? His dad went out and got a tattoo himself. He got got a tattoo that looked like his son's scar so that he could identify with his son's pain. And when he got his tattoo that looked just like his son's scar, he went to his boy and he said, now we're in this thing together. And that's what God did for us. He saw us in our pain He got down on our level. He entered our pain, but he didn't just do it so that he could be with us. He is with us, but he also took on our pain as well. And here's the thing. When we enter into people's pain and we love them in the midst of it, it's not just that we will change their lives, 
When you do that, you personally will live like you've never lived before. But see, God's love also does something else. When we start to speak God's language, God's love shapes how we see others. Because as we love him, we learn to see people as he sees them. John puts it like this. John says, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children as well. In other words, you can't say you love God and then hate his kids. It doesn't work like that. If somebody came to me and said, hey, Chad, we just really like you a lot, and we like Allison, your wife, and we just enjoy hanging out with you all, but we can't stand your kids. So don't, don't ever bring them over to our house. If we go out to eat, make sure you leave those little rascals at home. We don't want to be around them. If somebody you know, put down my kids, guess what? I'm probably not going to be hanging out with them. I'm still going to love them because Jesus tells me to, but I'm not going to be hanging out with them a whole lot because they're my kids. You talk about my kids, you talk about me, right? And John here is saying, don't stand up and say you love God and then refuse to love his kids. It doesn't work like that. In fact, John has some pretty harsh words for those who say that they love God but then refuse to love his kids. He says in 1 John 4, verse 20, he says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. He's not who he claims to be. Now, I get it. Sometimes it's hard to love people. I'm not saying we're perfectly going to love people. I'm not saying that at all. And we're all gonna have tough days where we struggle to love. I get that. I had one of those days just a couple weeks ago. I was with my family driving, and we came up on this four-way stop, and it was a you know, stop signs, and so I stopped, just like I'm supposed to. Uh, but there was another car coming the other direction, and she did not stop. It's like she didn't even see the stop sign. She just kept right on going, but I'd already started to take off and go, so I almost hit her. She almost hit me, however it was going to work out. But I hit my brake at the last second. My whole family you know, flew forward. We had our seatbelts on, but still, you know that feeling. And then we came back, and she just kept right on going. And so as she went by, as if she didn't even see us, I just kind of tapped on my horn a little bit. I mean, I didn't, I didn't hold it down very long. It wasn't like I was like, or anything like that. It was like, beep, beep, you know, uh, maybe a little bit more than that. But still, I, I let her know there was a stop sign there. And if she was ever going to drive this road again, she needed to remember there was a stop sign right there because somebody could have got hurt. And so she kind of looked over at me when I honked my horn and she's on her cell phone and she just kind of smiled and kept on going. And I remember I was really frustrated and Allison looked at me and she goes, Chad, did you really have to honk your horn at her? It's like, well, yeah, she broke the law. She needed to know that she broke the law. Of course, yes, I needed to let her know that she's going to kill somebody out here. And Allison looked at me and she said, well, Chad, what if she goes to first church? And I went back at Allison and I said, well, she needs to go to first church, that's for sure. Out here breaking the law, she needs to go to church, yeah. But you know, Allison was right. We respond to things differently because we know about God's love and that his love has changed us. And so, if you say, when you're confronted in those bad days when you're struggling to love somebody, if you say, I just can't love that person, I'm not going to love that person, John says, you're a liar. You're not, you're not who you truly claim to be. And then one more thing, God's love shapes our purpose. See, for me, one of the most fascinating lines in the entire book of 1 John is this line right here. When John writes, dear friends, since God so loved us, and we would assume that the next thing John is going to say is, since God so loved us, we should love God. That would make sense, right? But that's not what John says. John says Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In other words, we express our love for God by loving his kids, by loving others. 
That's how we show love to God. And just as God has breathed life into us by loving us, we breathe life into others by loving them. And this is the main point that John's trying to make here. Don't miss this. God's plan to redeem the world reaches its goal when Jesus' love is made visible through us. God's entire plan to save and redeem the world will be carried out when we are the visible expression in this world of his love. This is what we're called to do. This is what life is all about. We're called to love the world back to God. And if you want to live a full life, a satisfied life, a content life, a life that is bigger than this mundane existence that this world has passed down to you, if you don't want to settle for the cookie-cutter existence that everybody else has, if you want to live a thrilling life, an adventurous life, a momentous life, a life that leaves an impact on this world, this is what you do. You love people back to God. And when you do that, it'll change the world around you. And it'll change you as well. That's living a full life. And here's the thing. When you love people back to God, it'll change them. Because God will change. It's not that we change, but we love them back to God. And then God changes their lives. And they repent. And they start living for him. And they experience his love. And then they start loving other people and love them back to God. That's what we're called to do. But unfortunately, I think we miss this sometimes. Paul Harvey years ago said this. He said, instead of being fishers of men, Christians have become keepers of the aquarium. Not so of First Church. Not so of us. May that never be the case for us. We're not here to be keepers of the aquarium. We're here to go out into this world and be fishers of men and women and love them back to God. Because our love is the answer to the world's question, where is God? We're living in a day and age where a lot of people are looking at our culture and they're saying, where's God? Where is God anyway? All this bad stuff, where's God? If people are asking this question, it means one of two things. It means one, they haven't met us yet. Or two, we're not doing our job. Because we, you and me, as followers of Jesus, we're the answer to the question, where is God? Because if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, the world will never ask where God is because they will see him in us as we unleash his love on the world. That's living a full life. And if you feel like right now that you're just existing, you're just going through the motions, you were created for something more, that's what you were created for. Love God, love people. It's simple, but it will change your life. So right now, as we close, I want you to examine yourself. And I want you to think about the love that God has unleashed on you by sending Jesus to the cross. What a difference that's made in your life. We're going to have communion right now. In just a second, the ushers are going to dismiss you to take communion. And as you think about the love of God, then ask yourself the question, am I reflecting that love? Because that's what we're called to do. You, yes, you are to be the answer to the world's question, where is God? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and this chance we've had to open up your word and study it. And may we listen to this challenge that we get from 1 John. May we not just love on occasion, but may we be God, be God's love in this world, be his representative in this world. May people get a taste of God through our lives, may we be love every single day. 
And when people see him in us, see his love in us, use us to change the world. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.